all kink is rooted in fantasy and many kinks are entirely fantasy. People too often focus on the props and the toys, whether that's handcuffs or blindfolds or spanking paddle or whatever it is. And they're like, I should do this action. But I would say that kink is really about how are you thinking about yourself and your partner as you do that action? And the action might not be necessary and the toy might not be necessary. Not that toys aren't great. They are. But you don't need that to be kinky and you don't need that to you know, have a kinky sexual experience. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Arielle Greenberg, a longtime practitioner of kink, speaks about kink and ethical non-monogamy at universities, on podcasts, and more. A former tenured professor in English at Columbia College, Chicago, she has spent over 20 years as a scholar and academic teaching cultural studies, writing, and literature to undergraduate and graduate students, as well as in the community. She is the author of several books of poetry and creative nonfiction, including Super Freaks, Kink, Pleasure, and the Pursuit of Happiness, which is what we are going to dig into on today's episode of That Sex Chick. Y'all enjoy. I have all these books. I've been sent lots of books on the subject, whether it's kink or it has to do with varying psychological components of sex, or it has to do with just general sexual communication, like just a lot or sex education. And, and I was really gripped by, by yours and the stories that you were telling in between, because they, you know, to me anyway, it just kind of wrote me in, like I could feel my way and feel Mm -hmm. how I resonate with some components. And, um, yeah, I would say I felt similarly at times in Tristan Termino's Ultimate Guide to Kink, some of it. I love that book. And yeah. then I got to this section of about fisting and it kind of just lost me for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that too at some point if you want, but I, that's a great book and um, I highly recommend it. I talk about it in my book. I love Tristan, but it's an anthology. So every chapter, every section, which are about all different kinds of kink are different in their tone. So some are quite personal or upbeat and some are very like how to or dark or, you know, other kinds of that or not personal, technical, whatever. So yeah, I mean, this book is by one person who is, who has some various overlapping kinks and fetishes of different kinds and different kinds of sexual experiences. But I'm, you know, it's more from the perspective of it's not a memoir, although I do tell some of my own stories, but it's really from somebody who's just been curious my whole life and excited my whole life about what turns other people on too, you know? So I, I hope that it's got, it's got that perspective. Yeah. And coming out around my birthday, I think. So it feels like a little additional celebration. And I don't know why that's totally personal to me and has nothing to do with you. And I'm like, and it's coming it. out in August, just in time for my birthday. It's um, your birthday. Yeah. Just in this moment anyway. Okay. So let's double click a little bit. You know, I would consider myself amongst my friends. I'm probably the kinkiest amongst other people in the kink community. I wouldn't even say I'm like a part of the community. I would just say like, I like some kinky fuckery from time to time. I like some, you know, I've had some kinky more on the kinkier side relationships throughout my life, but what other people say comprises their life and their expression and all that is very different. And so, you know, in some rooms, like as kinky as it gets in other rooms with other company, I'm like as vanilla, you know, as they've ever been able to describe it. So I would, I would love a little taste of, you know, you've mentioned like you were always curious. So what was it like maybe growing up, finding your way through life, being a young person, and then figuring out, I think I might be into this like kind of edgy stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a really good question. So you had just said, you know, something about is kink something that you always know you have or that you can discover? And I think that's a really good question. My sense is that historically, a lot of kinky folks really feel their sexuality as an orientation analogous to knowing that you're queer when you're young. I have friends like gay male friends who say, you know, when I was five years old, 
we got the Sears catalog, you know, circular in the newspaper and there'd be like pictures of men in underwear. And I'd be like, that's what I like. I'm five and I already know, like, and I am not interested in that girl that I'm supposed to think is cute in my kindergarten class or whatever. And I think often for kinky folks, it is similar that we know before we know that we're sexual beings or like have the language to talk about that. We have some awareness that what turns us on is not what turns other folks on. And it really is kind of colors our lens to the whole world. The same way I think being queer colors your lens to the whole world. Like you sort of know the culture, the conversation wants you to be, have your attractions aligned this way and your attractions are aligned a totally different way. So, but you know, there's other folks who like later in life say, oh, hey, wait a minute. I think I might be gender non-conforming or I think I might be pansexual or actually, you know, I'm interested in and attracted to other genders and orientations than I originally thought. And that I think that happens in the kink community too, that people don't really have this kind of like core sense of themselves as different in this way, but they come along something at some point. And they're like, Hey, I'm kind of interested in that. I want to explore that. And of course, both are completely valid, but I am of the former camp <laughs> where as a very young child, I knew that what turned me on was not stuff that was other people thought was sexual. And, you know, I read a lot of studies and and articles about this and heard a lot of other people talk about it, you know, that you can be nine years old and looking up spanking in the dictionary and masturbating to the dictionary definition of spanking, because that's all you got if you're into spanking and you're nine years old, you know, before the internet, or even if you don't have access to that, or, you know, so much of, I would say almost every kink out there is probably represented in some children's cartoon or another because children's cartoons are really weird. So I've heard from a lot of folks that, you know, especially people who are into bondage and spanking, there are so many children's cartoons that represent bondage and spanking. It gets crazy if you go back and look at it or, you know, cross-dressing or, I mean, all balloons, like all sorts of stuff that are pretty common kinks are Yeah. So I, so a lot of kids, I think have this experience of watching a cartoon and as the plot is unfolding, they're like, wait a minute, this is my deepest fantasy and it's not being shown here as sexual, but this is what I'm into. And having that kind of dual awareness, that sort of double consciousness to use phrase from race theory, like that I am both, I'm not supposed to maybe show other people that this is what I'm into, but this is what I'm into. And it's not what everybody else is into. So for me, that was my experience. I knew from a very young age, like, oh, I, my fantasies don't involve genitals or like typical, you know, kind of sexualized parts of bodies. Or if they do involve bodies, then they're not the kind of bodies that are conventionally considered sexy or attractive by this culture. And so that kind of sense of like the taboo and being different was, you know, has been with me since the start, really. Okay. So can we get a little personal? Sure. (laughs) Okay. So what was it? What were, what were the things that were, you know, like little you were like, yeah, that. (laughs) Yeah. So my kink doesn't make fetish, which is just a sort of subcategory of kink. Fetishes are one kind of kink. And fetish is basically when you find yourself really attracted to an object or a body part that is not normally, you know, normatively sexualized. So And the idea of a fetish comes from that idea of like a magical totem that you would carry around with you, like a fetish is, you know, in folk culture is like a little carved horse or something like that. And you would bring it for protection and it would make you feel powerful and and safe and you loved it and sort of like worshiped Mm -hmm. it. And that is how a fetishist feels about the object of their desire. So mine doesn't, you know, there's like fetishes are probably the most common and people have heard that and you've done a show about it. Mine doesn't really have like a shorthand name like that, but I am attracted to other people indulging in hedonistic behavior. So that could be like eating indulgence or drinking alcohol indulgence or sexual behavior indulgence, like pleasurable hedonistic sensory pleasure and kind of overdoing it proudly. And I will say, even though my fetish doesn't really have a name, there are lots of other people who have this. You can find them on YouTube really easily. If you look up like sexy beer belly or sexy drunk girl or like things like that. There'll be videos where people will just kind of be proudly showing off that they have 
engaged in this kind of vice, you know, vice behavior. And it's pretty taboo, right? Because you're, we are a culture that believes in like moderation and not overdoing it and, you know, self-discipline and things like this. And so to be into somebody being like, oh, like I just ate everything I wanted today and it was delicious and I'm so full and it feels great. That is sort of core to my fetish. And it's, so it's both the kind of physical manifestation of that. Like I really love a beer belly but also the psychology behind it. Like, and I'm proud of it. So there are some folks who have a similar fetish where they really love a beer belly. Let's say gay men specifically have terms for this in gay male culture. This is a a real thing that is kind of known, but they might be into like humiliating that person or overdoing it or having the person feel humiliated or feel, you know, not want to say it out loud. And then there's other people who are like, I really like when someone is proud of it and sort of smug about it. So yeah, I mean, from a really young age, like cartoons of Hansel and Gretel eating the entire, which is gingerbread house. And so they were like little happy, you know, uh, <laughs> full kids. It was like, high on sugar. You know, yeah, high on sugar. I was like, ooh, what's that about? And also some people's fetishes are, you know, sometimes you can sort of be the receiver or the giver of that. And some, so some people it's, it's like rooted in their own behavior. And for other people, it's like really about, I would say it's more commonly for fetishists to be interested in somebody, right? It's like a foot fetishist is not really interested in their own feet. They want to watch somebody else put a shoe on. And sort of similarly for me, like, I don't really want to overdo it. I don't enjoy that myself, but I really want the other person to do it. Yeah. (laughs) And like it. Yeah. Absolutely. Or the, the latex or the leather. Granted, there are some people that like to be like strapped into the thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, mostly have it seen, have, have it seen on display. Yeah. Or like be able to <sighs> yeah, stroke it and lick it and touch it on somebody else. Mm. And, and you do get that same sense of like the original definition of a fetish of, oh, wow, I'm in the presence of the sacred and this is powerful and, you know, overwhelming in a way, in a good way. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of, uh, you know, I'm in Austin, right? So, you know, well, and before Austin, we spent some time in Encinitas and just outside of San Diego. So I was very woo and kind of spiritual community there. And we've got a decent sized spiritual community here too. And you're talking about the little fetish and then what I'm like, yeah, all the spiritual girls with their crystals. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, like, yeah. This is yeah. my crystal for the thing. And it's in my bra or it's in my pocket or it's in my wallet. And it's like, you know, this is for my open heart or this is for my abundance or whatever. And it's like the thing that they're, you know, holding on to idolizing in a sense, you know, I grew up Catholic. And so it's like, if you put your faith into something, then this is a wrong thing. And so I imagine that there's a ton of people, there's a ton of Catholics or whatever the religion is, that's probably getting off on idolizing something other than God or Jesus out there, you know, just, just to get their rocks off. (laughs) But Catholics are great at this, right? Like the little piece of a nose of a saint or like this special water. And it's got all this magical power to it. And for a fetishist, yeah, it's like a magical power that this attraction has, which is part of what I think makes it so kind of intense and easy to recognize when you are a younger person, you know, like it's a pretty deep, profound feeling. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for getting personal with us, you know, and I imagine that, that people are listening and they're like, I have so many questions. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. What does this mean? Like, what does it look like? Okay. Well, we're into this and that was when you're a kid. And then now we're an adult and like, well, how does this all play out? And so I want to maybe double click on a couple things. And to me, I'm so curious that I want to like take it and run, but I also want to like preface some of the, the conversation where I know it's going. Cause I know the questions that I'm going to ask. Well, some of them that I might ask. And I would, I would love you more or less stated the differences between kink and fetish. And, you know, we've gone into the overarching umbrella of BDSM, you know, the acronym and what it stands for. And so for people who are not familiar with BDSM, I'll let you do the honors of what it stands for. The great overlapping acronym. So B and D can stand for bondage and discipline, which sometimes go hand in hand, sometimes they're separate. The D and S stand for dominance and submission. And then the S and the M stand for sadism and masochism. So that's great. It covers a lot of ground, but it doesn't include fetishes. <laughs> so I sort of say kink is like BDS, all the stuff grouped under BDSM, which is everything from impact play, like spanking and whipping to power exchange, you know, sort of psychological dynamics to some particular actions like bondage or spanking, which is part of as discipline. But none of that, those are the letters that cover fetishes, although they certainly can be a part, like 
there are boot fetishists, right, who want to polish their dominance boots or, you know, worship at their dominance feet in high heels, let's say, or want the dominant to wear latex. So there certainly can be overlap, but BDSM doesn't necessarily include or imply fetishistic sexuality. So yeah, I sort of think of a kink as like BDSM and then fetishes and, you know, and sort of like what's between them. Sure. sure. And I, I didn't see it necessarily when I was skimming through maybe the first part of your book. Did you go into paraphilia? Yeah. So paraphilia is sort of the diagnostic name for fetish. It's the same thing. So paraphilia, that that word just means, I love the word and it's like kind of, there's riffs on it throughout the book, but it means a love philia, meaning love para meaning next to or beyond or adjacent to. So it kind of means like love that is of things that are beyond what's normal <laughs> in a way. Right. And right. I love that term. And so that is like fetishes are our paraphilia. Yeah. Right. Right. And I thought of like, like paranormal activity or like, is yeah. it a ghost? You know, it's like against the norm or adjacent onside the norm. Okay. So, so that's like a lot of the, the groundwork there is like the differences in the language. And would you just say that all of them, like kind of a blanket, kinky is the word that's more or less used as the blanket, like BDSM is kinky, you know, to some people, whatever taboo is, is, is kinky. And so to them, it might be like, Ooh, you put something in my butt tonight, kinky, you know, like, Ooh, there was a little bit of, you know, I always think it's interesting when people go to like, I want to say like vanilla people, you know, but just people who very exploratory. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's get a little kinky tonight. And it's either butt stuff or choking. And I'm like, choking's dangerous. And we gotta, we like, I have some things to tell you about butt stuff before you go. Do yeah. Yeah. Like what kind of your toy has to have a base. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> yes, I think that, or, you know, wrote about this in the book. There's so many like spice up your relationship with kink articles out there. And they're all like handcuffs and play police, you know, do a role play of, you know, some standard role play that's out there and blindfold. And like that, that's kind of like the end of the story. And yeah, no, there's so much more to kink and there's so many nuances to it. And especially when you get into paraphilia fetishes, but also with BDSM for every kind of kink that's out there, there's infinite number of flavors and ways you can do that or specifics about it. And your mileage will vary from somebody else. So just because you say like, oh yeah, I'm a dominant too, doesn't mean you necessarily have anything in common with the dominant sitting next to you because they might be really into humiliating people who crawl around the floor and pretend they're puppies. And you're really into having, you know, being carefully shaven from head to toe by your submissive while they play like whale sounds and like candles for you or something like you know, it can be totally, <laughs> totally different. <laughs> right. And then my audience is like, I need to rewind that. What are they doing? Shaved head to toe while whale songs are playing in the background. <laughs> that was totally made up, but I mean, somebody out there is probably into it. Example yeah. I give is often with fetishes, it's like, okay, so let's say you're a foot fetishist. Great. Super common fetish. Probably the most common one out there, meaning like more people are foot fetishists than maybe any other kind of fetish. But you might be a foot fetish who's really into dirty bare feet. And you just like love a hippie chick running through the grass and her dirty bare feet. And you want to like smell that dirty foot and everything. And, or you might be a fetishist who's like, I like a beautifully cleaned foot, which I will bathe myself and scrub and pedicure and then slip into a beautiful $500 pair of high heels. Mm -hmm. And those two foot fetishists, they're both foot fetishists, but like the thing that turns one of them on could turn the other person off completely and vice versa. So I think that's just really interesting, like useful to point out. Right. And then the, the part where the turn on comes in that I think for some people who wouldn't say that they have a fetish that they are aware of, which I imagine if we're adults, then chances are high. If you've got a fetish connection going on, you're probably aware of it. Yeah. So when the turn on part happens, is it, you know, like I imagine just like regular normal vanilla people kind of, you know, just trying to bring this together here yeah, where yeah. they're like on, you know, at a restaurant and they've got perfectly manicured feet in the heels and like someone has a foot fetish that like that lines up. Like, is that foot fetishist like hanging out at another table at a nearby table, just like getting a boner or getting wet over those are really beautiful Louboutins or you know, Jimmy yeah. Choo's or right. Marlonics. 
Or Doc Martens. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, <laughs> <Or Doc Martins>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. And that is what makes it feel, I think, analogous to like knowing you're a boy, a young boy who is going to be a gay man when you grow up because you're out in the world and everyone's saying like, oh, look at that cute girl. Look at this poster of a hot girl. And you're like, seeing the guy across, you know, the construction worker across the street, the guy, and you're like, oh, no, that, that is what I'm interested in. And so, yes, I think, you know, I comment on this in the book that there are um, like yoga instructors who have YouTube videos and they're barefoot because they're yoga instructors and they're just doing their jobs. Right. But that foot fetishist might see that video and be like, this is my porn. And that's fine. If that's in your head, great. Keep that to yourself. Go use it in your spank bank later. But it's what I would say is not appropriate because it's not consensual is to then comment all over that YouTube yoga video. Like, oh, your feet are so beautiful. Your feet are so beautiful, which people do. And it's just, I would say it's not appropriate because like that person isn't putting up a video for your sexual enjoyment. They're doing a professional service, which is yoga. And you should respect that and not like kind of put yourself out there unless that's invited. There are other YouTube videos of people who are like, look at my sexy feet. And then sure, yeah, tell that person their feet look great because they're clearly making porn for foot fetishes. But if it's not being put out there as content, I tell the story in the book, but a few years ago, I was like, I hate wearing shorts in the summer, but I need shorts. I'm going to buy nylon men's gym shorts, like like vintage from the 80s, like the shiny nylon kind, because those look comfy and kind of different. And I just don't want to wear standard shorts. I had no idea this was a fetish. Turns out it is. I posted like family, you know, photos, camping trip, whatever. I'm wearing the nylon shorts and there are just guys, you know, it's always like cis straight guys come on and they post, you know, oh, those shorts are so shiny. And because I'm a fetishist, I have the radar to be like, oh, you're a fetishist. They're just like, those shorts look really shiny. Are they shiny? Or they'll say, you know, like they look slippery. You can kind of tell by the way they engage and it's nothing. They're not saying anything sexual, but I know (laughs) that they know. That this and I'm like, you know what? Delete because this yeah. is a picture of me on a camping trip. I'm not on Fet Life posting my pictures of my shiny shorts like that. It's not for right, you. right. I'm not on. I'm not on Fet Life <laughs> with my family photos. You right. know, I'm like here's the fish I caught in the lake in right. my nylon shorts. <laughs> right, or even on like Bumble or Tinder or something like that. Like you know, if it's a space that's designated for romantic sexual encounters, great, say something. But if it's not, then don't keep it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, (laughs) so, right. Well, I mean, it it reminds me of, and I've thought really nothing of it, but you know, I put up a question box on my Instagram every so often. That's like, you know, and ask me anything or something like that. And there's one person in particular that's been following me for a really long time. And it's, will you show us your feet? Every time it's, yeah. would you be into a foot fetish? It's a version of that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like, what do you feel? What do your feet look like? And I've just like kind of giggled and moved on, yeah. you know? And, and I think that I'm still going to feel that way about it. I think like, I'm going to choose to just be like, you're doing yeah. your thing, you know, I'm you're, do- offended, you're doing your thing. but I'm also like, yeah. my other friends don't need to see you asking about my shorts because this is not that space. <laughs> okay. And for the non-fetishists out there that are listening, they're like, where the hey does this come from? You know, like, Is this like, and I think people think this, you know, in general about kink or DS or whatever, where it's like, did some trauma happened or did you like get your first like memory of sexual arousal while you were around this thing? And then it like bonded together. And so that's now, you know, and I think that it's, there's like a more nuanced answer to that. Yeah. So I would say, unfortunately, the first thing you mentioned, like it's trauma induced. I mean, I'm not going to rule that out, but that's the 50 shades of gray model. Like people who are kinky are traumatized and there's no evidence that that's true. Or I would say there's no evidence that kinky people are any more traumatized or have any more baggage than vanilla people. Everybody's got trauma. You know, most people have some trauma and baggage. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. And so it would sort of also be impossible to, to do a study. Cause you'd have to ask like all these vanilla people, like, do you, have you ever experienced any kind of sexual trauma? And of course, many of them are going to say yes. And then how that lines up with their sexual desires. I mean, I just think in some ways, vanilla folks have the privilege of not thinking about this stuff too deeply. Whereas those of us who feel more marginalized in our sexualities, I think often do spend a lot of time questioning, like, where did this come from? What is it from? I will say I'm a lucky person to have really not experienced sexual trauma in my life. And so I know for myself, that's not where it comes from. The latter thing that you mentioned is one of the theories that's out there right now, which is that basically 
you, yeah, you got imprinted by some kind of early experience that was, you know, powerful for you. And it became kind of like a cross signal almost with your like erotic wiring and they lined up next to each other or something. Another theory, maybe the most popular theory right now is just like, actually your brain is wired a little differently or your it's an orientation, you know, sort of just the same as now we really believe and feel that, you know, being queer, being gay or trans is just in you. It's always been true. And and you were born that way. And to quote Lady Gaga, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's what most researchers are sort of thinking now is that you're just, you're sort of born with your sexuality and, and your sexuality might be very open and encompass a lot of different things, or your sexuality might be like pretty straightforward and on a, you know, somewhat narrow path. And both of those are great. And you're probably not going to change it radically over the course of your life. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Are you someone who loves to talk about, learn about, and explore the world of sex? Perhaps you're even that friend who everyone comes to for intimate advice and guidance. If this sounds like you, I have a question for you. Have you ever considered becoming a sex coach? More than a college degree, you need drive, desire, and a deep passion for truly helping others. As you may know, not only am I a sex, love, dating, and relationship coach, but I also teach other coaches this niched craft. The Sex and Love Co team and I have now taught over 100 coaches how to do this work and how to run successful coaching businesses. Sex and Love University is a year-long journey starting September 5th, 2023, and it includes three trimesters focusing on sex education and personal development, coaching skills and tools, and business, sales, marketing, branding, et cetera. Over the course of a year, you will get to step into your own personal development work on a deeper level, build community with like-minded women, develop your skills as a coach, discover your own niche and how to monetize it while building the confidence to make this your thriving new career. If you've ever thought about it, dreamed about it, or wondered if this is even possible, go ahead and take a closer look at the show notes and find out more about Sex and Love University today. Okay, so my next question is, would you classify like, this is not hierarchical, that's not the way that I want to ask this question, but like maybe different flavors or different depths to, let's say kinky people, like this type of kinky person is like, they live it, they breathe it, it's a part of who they are then this is like the more casual type. So these different types of like how deep people go into kink, like maybe they are like weekend warriors. Like they just go out and they're kinky on the weekends sometimes or like once a month or they're dabbling in kink. Like you were the line in the book and you mentioned it before, the fallacy of spicing up a relationship and how, you know, they might look at this Cosmo article. I don't even know if Cosmo is still a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they it, still I think have it is. article like every month. <laughs> and like women's health mag and men's health mag yeah, and yeah. allure and L and it's like five kinky things to try to spice up your relationship, you know? And so then there's like that, that kind of subsection mm-hmm. that are just like trialing it out. You know, how would you look at these different like kink depths? Yeah. Yeah. Levels in a way. I, so I, I, I kind of outline levels for fetishists specifically, but I think it can also work for people into other, you know, BDSM kinds of kink. Yeah. There's this sort of like, Oh, so I forgot exactly the analogy I used in the book, but let's say you're into um, like pee play waters called water sports. Sometimes if, you know, let's say you're somebody who's like, Oh yeah, you know, my, I have this new partner and they say they want to pee on me. And I'm like, I'll try anything once. Like you could be that kind of just, you know, Dan Savage style giving and game and like willing to try a thing. Or, you know, you might go a little further where you're like, I definitely am interested in some stuff regarding pee. Like I, I, that's, I, I don't know exactly what I'm into about it, but there's something about that that appeals to me. And then there might be a level where you're like, I need to at least be thinking about pee or like having something involving pee involved in my sexual experiences or they're not totally satisfying. And then you might be a deeper level where you're like, yeah, that's a requirement for me to kind of get off. It's there has to be something about pee and and I want to talk about it. And like my partner needs to know that that's pretty core to who I am. And then at the deepest level, you might just get off and pee without any partner involved at all. Like you could just like go around sniffing public toilets or you know, like watching 
video, you know, if you, if you saw somebody in a video or something where it's just someone's peeing on a wall, you're like, oh my God, that's my porn. So yeah, I think there's all of those levels for all different kinds of kink. And we know somebody, for example, who had a partner who was like really into bondage and rope and he happened to work as a professional rigger. So had a lot of skills in rope and he was happy to make his partner happy that way. But he always was like, you know, this is my profession. I I know how to do this and I'm really glad it gets her off. But like, I just want to get laid. I'm actually a pretty vanilla guy. And I, I just want to have like penis and vagina sex after this. The rope part is not turning me on at all, but I'm glad I have the skill that turns my partner on, you know? So I think there's also those folks who are glad to incorporate some kind of kinky play into their sex that then leads to most of us think of as, you know, sort of conventional vanilla sexual experiences. Okay. So wide ranging, like a whole spectrum situation. Cause I think some people are kind of like, if I'm not going around sniffing toilets, then I'm not kinky. You know, like they don't know that there's these varying flavors or I don't even know how to really, I keep calling like depth level. Spectrum (laughs) I think is great. Spectrum is great. Yeah. It's a spectrum. Yeah. Of how intensely you're, you need that as part of your sexual experience. Okay. And so for the people who are more on the like spice up the relationship, well, first off, there's nothing wrong with being vanilla and liking vanilla sex. Yeah. I always say vanilla is delicious. I love vanilla as a flavor and it's actually got a lot of depth and complexity to it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I know people who are like kind of offended by that term. And I always say, you know what? Being vanilla, kind of like being white, you have a lot of privilege in this culture, like just be an ally. And understand that you've got privilege because basically the whole culture is sexually is geared toward you and that you are super lucky and you will never have to explain or defend your sexuality to some, to a part new partner or worry about your new partner being totally freaked out by what you're into and how fortunate for you. So just like enjoy and also be understanding to those of us who don't have that privilege. Totally. And, and I like, I mean, it really does go well with the ice cream analogy because vanilla is accepted everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's always available. It's a great base mixes well with any mm-hmm. other flavor. You can <laughs> add any topping on top of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, and you know, well, while some people are like a full on Neapolitan in their kink or like Rocky <laughs> road or pistachio or whatever, cookies and cream, cookie dough, whatever it is. Then some people might be more like the, I'm just going to keep rolling with this analogy, the vanilla with like the chocolate syrup on it. So like more vanilla, but like occasionally is like, let's go to a play party or vanilla and is like, let's get the bedroom cuffs out, you know, the under the mattress Mm -hmm. cuffs out or something like that, or whatever the toy is of, you know, the exploratory in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And also all of this stuff is culturally determined by context. So what's kinky you know, I would say what's kinky is what's non-normative, right? And that depends on where you are in time and space. So there have been times, let's say ancient Greece, when it is totally appropriate for adult men to sodomize teenage boys. (laughs) And that was normative in ancient Greece. And so we're not taught, you know, like now we would say that's pedophilia and it's completely inappropriate and it's really taboo. And, and that's actually a kink that you can never do consensually because it's not possible. And so you should never do it, act on it. And I talk about this a lot in the book, but like at a different place and time in our history, that was completely acceptable. So, and even like the kind of body types, like, let's say, it can be considered kinky now to be into somebody who has a beer belly because we live in this culture that's all about the six pack abs. But at another time, that body shape and type might have been like the most idealized body shape and type that there was. Totally. So. Yeah. I told you I'm from I'm from New Orleans and we have Mardi Gras. And yeah. there's all the different parades have different deities that are leading it. Like a, that's like the center focus. And it just makes me think of Bacchus where it's this like yes. round cherub man that's got his you know, like his leaves, the little crown around his head and he's just like pouring the wine and it's just this hedonistic bacchanal, you know? But I mean, that's definitely New Orleans in and of itself. It is one of the sexiest, edgiest cities, you know, in the States for sure, in the States for sure, that has so much culture and tradition and yumminess. I'm getting ready to host a retreat there. I haven't hosted in in a while, but I love my hometown and I love I love the kinky fucks there too, because they just, they yeah. feel really integrated in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And very grounded. And I don't know if that's um, because of the location and the environment and all that and the 
the the freedom of expression, all that. Now, if you go, if you go like 10 minutes further south where I'm actually from, it is not the same. Not so much. Yeah. I mean, Ooh. yeah, New Orleans is incredible because I mean, it's got the whole like red light district history. So it's got this long history of sex work and that being really integrated into the culture. It's got, I mean, Anne Rice, like the whole, like all of that. Oh, yeah. Her erotica, oh, which yeah. is super kinky. You know, yeah, there's so much to to New Orleans culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm forgetting what we we're talking about before we talked about New Orleans. Oh, just, just, just like the cherub and the man and the hedonistic right. and the bacchanal say, and all that. You could call my fetish a Bacchus fetish, basically, like that right. idea of somebody overindulging in all the pleasurable things and enjoying it and just celebrating it. That's my fetish. Great. Well, in New Orleans, there's things that are called either Bacchus something or bacchanal or yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I guess it is a city that really does indulge in all the things that maybe we're not supposed to indulge in the food, the sugar, the sex, the music, alcohol, yep. Nightlife. (laughs) How could I forget all the alcohol, the (laughs) dancing, all of it, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm even more excited to, to get into town and, you know, and I watch my family times has struggled with every one of the things that I've just outlined because we've grown up with it. And so it's, you know, at one point it's this really yummy, good thing. And then at another point, kind of turn a corner and we go just past, you know, feeling good about it or feeling empowered by it and it's harmful. And yes. so I think that that's in some way is also present in, in kink and fetish as well. Absolutely. There has to be that edge or it's not really kink. Like that, the element of taboo that you've talked about from the start is that that has to be present or yeah, I think we're not really talking about kink. Do you think that Eros, you know, erotic energy, sexual energy, do you think it comes from any particular source or place in the body? Ooh, I don't know. That is such a good question. I mean, I think it comes from the brain. My sense is because of my experience of being this fetishist whose head has been turned by things that I know, you know, the people sitting next to me don't think of as sexual as all. And it is about like how you process that in your, in, yeah, I guess I would say how you process it in your brain. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I think maybe some people wind up looking at things that they might be interested. Well, they're interested in their mind and they're interested in their turn on their body, but may not cross over into actuality, like bringing it into their reality. You know, as people looking at people's porn history, you know, what they, what they look at, like they might give themselves permission to look where it gets edgier and edgier. And it's kind of these like fringe things. But then when it comes to their reality, for whatever reason, they're not. And I think for some people it's real. Like there are some things that I fantasized about which I would love to talk about the differences between maybe fantasy and fetish and that kind of thing. Because there's things that I have fantasized about that I then went to do and I much prefer the fantasy. Absolutely. Yeah. And all kink is rooted in fantasy and many kinks are entirely fantasy. Like you can't actually, you know, (laughs) be a puppy, let's say. Right, right. (laughs) I just thought, I just thought alien- like alien poor, like hentai or something where it's like, you can't actually penetrate yourself with a tentacle. With a tentacle, (laughs) right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And role play is all fantasy too. You're not actually turning into, you know, whatever that is, a vampire and a cop or (laughs) who knows what, but you're pretending that you, it's play. I mean, and that's why so much of my book is about like, let's be playful about this and our tone and how we talk about it too, because Ultimately, all kink is a form of erotic play. And I think we can't forget the playful, the play part of it. So kind of the area when I, when we first were talking and then kind of leading into, you know, getting into the show, and I think I might've mentioned it towards the beginning, how, you know, on previous episodes, we've talked about things like DS and the role of dominance and submission and all that, and how it's kind of the, in a lot of ways, the undercurrent of a lot of the varying roles that people could play. Now kind of makes me think back to the, cosmopolitan L allure when they're like, try these seven things. And it's, oh, role play. Role to me, role playing that I'm a pirate or a damsel in distress or like, that's hard to stay in character. It's hard to go from like, we're normal. We've lived a five-year relationship, a 10-year relationship. And now I'm just going to like walk in in a French maid outfit and you're going to be the, you know, the friend dresser and you're like (laughs) Mr. Whatever his name was. And you have all the money and here I am just like cleaning your house and I'm just going to have this, I'm just going to play in this role all the way to like, it's to me, it's like, it's hard. 
It's too hard to do that. And to suggest that is silly to me. Right. Yeah. I think so many people feel that about role play. It's exactly how I used to feel about role play before I really committed to it. And, <laughs> uh, but I, so I would say it is hard, especially if you're trying to use some kind of prepackaged roles. So, and that's usually what like Elle and Cosmo are sort of suggesting, like do a French maid on a whatever. But if you really take the time to sort of think about what in the end you're trying to get out of this interaction and this role play and what role feels comfortable to you and what flavor of that role feels comfortable to you, then I think it can start making a lot more sense. And I think so the prepackaged, it both comes with like, yeah, French maid and so-and-so and boss. And here's the costume from the Halloween store. And, you know, here you're good to go. But I would say start role playing with no costumes, no toys, no props in bed or on your couch or wherever you're comfortable with your partner, just talking and just enacting that role and figure out what really works for you. So like, let's say, you know, role play that my partner and I have definitely done is like the, um, you know, kind of like pool boy and milk down the street, right? Neighbor. Mm -hmm. Um, But so that can go even with that, like, so that's pretty specific, but that could go a million different ways. The, the boy could be aggressive and in charge and seducing the older woman or the older woman could be the aggressive one, or they could both be aggressive or they could both be shy or they could both be, you know, or she could really be like cuckolding her husband as part of this being like, Oh, you know, I'm married, but I don't care. Or she could feel enormous guilt. I mean, there's just like so many ways you can play any, any particular role play. And I would really encourage people to just kind of like figure out what works for you, what really feels like a release and a joy for you to enact. And once you get into it and you practice, we felt really silly the first few times we role played. And (laughs) I will also say we were like, thought we were in community theater or something and that we had to be good actors, which (laughs) neither of us are. And we got really caught up in that and like overthought about it. But once you find the thing that's comfortable and you practice and you got to kind of do it a few times, I would say, because the first few times you probably are going to feel pretty silly. Then you really start to find your groove and it gets very easy to click into And then it's the best thing because yes, you're those people in that five-year relationship and you just washed the dishes together and cleaned up the cat box, whatever. (laughs) Um, But, and so it can be hard to get into an erotic space when you've just like done all that work over the course of the day. And this is a way that you can like instantly transport yourself to some other level where you are like ready to have sex or do something sexy. And it's yeah. great for that. And the one thing I always say is like, it's really funny because my partner, my husband, who is like really averse to acting or anything like that, never would never be comfortable on the stage. He's gotten so good at an into role play that I swear he's like a method actor of role play. So if he's <laughs> role playing an 18 year old boy, he's 50, almost 51. He will come like that. <laughs> <laughs> like an 18 year old like in the mindset of it it's he's crazy in it. he's yeah, committed he's in it. to Whereas the role other times like that doesn't really happen anymore yeah. that's amazing okay and this is really where I was going with the lead into that you know our next set of questions but and it's it's the mental component you know like we've talked about the spanking we've talked about the dominant submission we talked about all those things on the other on other shows and what I want to get into now is the kind of mental component to it and the imagination, all the different flavors that things could look like. Because I think, yeah, some people, you know, if they've got a fetish and they probably know about it already, but with regards to kink, you know, there were some things that, that I was shown as a 26, 27 year old young woman and had my mind completely blown. I had no idea that I was going to be into that. I had no Mm. idea like spit. I had no idea submission. I had no idea throat fucking. I had no idea. There were so many things where I was just like, I happened to be partnered with the right person at the right time where I was like, holy fucking shit. How did I not know I was into all of this? Yeah. You know, like tie me up, gag me, force, like all the things. And then like take care of me yes. and then be gentle with me. And some components of, you know, I have an inclination towards daddy dom little girl, but I haven't like fully, like what I see other people, especially people on YouTube, I'm like, I'm not that one. I'm not right, like that. Right. No, right. I have my own kind of flavor with it and way that I relate to it. I um, mean, I think for a lot of people, especially people who've listened to the show, the way that I've described it, because I am not 
let's say on one end, that far end of the spectrum, the way that I describe it for myself seems to really resonate with people, Yeah, you know, to where they can open up to something like that and not immediately think like you're pretending to be a five-year-old or six-year-old and your partner's pretending to be an adult and there's some, you know, like that's right. not cool. And, but the way that I describe it is very, very different than that. Yep. And, and I hope that I'm able to like really get people to soften up. So I've even told some of those stories, but where I'm really going with this is I want to touch on the chapter in the book that's attention and neglect, which is types of kink, the humiliation, you touched on it and the imagination and like getting the minds involved. And that's what leads to the turn on. I think, I think a lot of people are probably really turned on by that, but have no idea how to get there, you yeah. know, or like what their flavor is. Yeah. I mean, I think book is really about this. Like all kink comes from the mind, as I was saying before, and it's about the psychology. So no matter, yeah, in some ways, I think people too often focus on the the props and the toys, whether that's handcuffs or blindfolds or, you know, spanking paddle or whatever it is. And they're like, I should do this action. But I would say that kink is really about how are you thinking about yourself and your partner as you do that action? And the action might not be necessary and the toy might not be necessary. Not that toys aren't great. They are. But you don't need that to be kinky and you don't need that to you know have a kinky sexual experience. So yeah, I mean, we do daddy girl too. And I'm also not somebody who identifies as like, uh, we might role play sometimes some like actual age play stuff. But when I call my partner daddy, it's really much more about dynamic that we've established, which in our daddy girl is like mutual caregiving. Really? I take care of him and his needs and he takes care of me and my needs. And it's very loving and there's very little impact play. There's sometimes rough sex. There's sometimes consensual non-consent, which we can get into, which is super fun to play with. But, you know, there's often, yeah, there's not like an age specific thing and it can just look like loving rough sex or whatever, you know, whatever it is for you that works. It doesn't have to look like anybody else's stereotypical version of that thing. And would encourage people to start playing with the mind stuff you're going to get to something interesting a lot faster if you focus on that than if you just focus on the toy that you bought at the store. Absolutely. I think so many people get wrapped up in the toy and the purchasing of this other thing or in the lingerie or the thing that's outside of themselves when, you know, it's not about the flogger or the paddle or the cane or whatever the thing is, just escalated quickly. It's not any of those <laughs> things. It's about what it takes for those things to be well-received, for those things to be a turn on, for those things to be hot. You know, it's, it's having yeah. the two partners able to communicate with each other and vibe with each other and be able to drop in with one another. It's that trust. Yeah. And submission and all the things in the care. Yeah. It, there's so the much dynamic. more than just the thing. Yep. So this is leading me to my more specific question, which you did. I, you mentioned cuckold. There we go. Cuckold. And I've been asked numerous times, in my ask me anything box, you know, there's someone who's always in there and it's like, show me your feet. And then there's someone that's like, when are you ever going to talk about hot wifing? Oh yeah. Like, I don't know when I will find someone who wants to have an entire conversation. Actually, David Lay, a yeah. gentleman who, who I had on the show to talk about sex addiction isn't, isn't real. Um, I think he has a book on hot wifing. So mm. this classification where it's like people who want to see their partner with someone else and then I think where I'd like for this to go, this like next little part of our chat, and this is probably where we're going to have to end because I'm looking at our time and I want to make sure that we keep it all concise because it's, if it isn't clear, y'all, I'm very interested in this subject. <laughs> I could just keep going with my Me questions <laughs> and I probably will my whole life, you know, I'm very fascinated yeah. by this stuff as I know you are too. So absolutely, eventually like when kinks or fetishes are when it's two people who either their fetishes clash or their kinks clash, or one has been withholding and it's getting to be a bit of a challenge, like crossing over from challenge to like a problem in their relationship. Because I know that there are, when I get asked about the hot wave question or the cuckold question, occasionally I'm also asked like, what do I do? I want this so bad for my partner and they're not going to budge. Like what, like what are my options? So yeah. But first, you know, let's, let's go in the, like, in the consensual, everybody's willing participants. You know, I have a number of clients and, and people in our community that are in the lifestyle. And I've heard just the most outrageous where I'm like, whoo, fanning myself while they're telling me a story. <laughs> and I'm like, 
Oh man. Okay. People are into it. So I'd love to like give that person who asks me about this all the time on my Instagram, like to let them have their moment here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hot wife is a great thing. We personally have some friends who are really into that. And I'll just say, would not say that my husband is like in well, I don't know. He might be. I would say maybe he is. <laughs> he, we were both, you know, previously had many experiences in monogamy. And when we got together, we, I had already started exploring non monogamy, but we started exploring ethical non monogamy together. And at first, that was, you know, that's a hard kind of, again, like door to walk through. Like you go from thinking you got to be monogamous to, oh, maybe this is really cool for my partner to fuck somebody else. And the first couple of times we tried to play with other people, it was like a no-go. And my then partner was like, nope, this makes me feel really shaky and insecure and I don't like it and let's not do it. And then over time, we started, you know, swing, like doing some kind of swingery poly stuff. and. Now he is at the place where like the thing he likes most about playing with other people is seeing me get fucked by somebody else and enjoying it. And it's just really kind of a paradigm shift again in the mind to be like, wow, that's, it can actually be super hot to see your partner being pleasured by somebody else. And yeah, so hot wife is when you are super excited that you have this insatiable wife, usually, because it doesn't have to be. Um, that's the term for the fetish, who just, you know, needs to be fucked all the time. Is a kind of it is kind of akin to my fetish in a way, because it's also about hedonistic pleasure. Like it's usually that flavor of it is like they can't get enough. I'm not enough to satisfy them. They need to go out on the town and get it wherever they can. And that is like a source of pride and delight and arousal for the partner. And then the difference between that and cuckolding, I think, is you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's more the, when you're talking about hot wifing, it's an empowerment thing. It's like, oh, I'm just, I'm so insatiable. And the husband's like, yeah, get it. And then cuckolding on the other, on the flip side is I think more of the humiliation, you know, like they get off on a lot of times that's husband and wife and he gets off on the humiliation of it where it's like, oh, I can't please you or my penis is too small or you think I'm too short or it's kind of playing on their insecurities sometimes. Right. Or even just like, I have to stay home while you go out and have fun. And, you know, how sad for me, but like, not really because I'm super excited by this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that kind of denial, self-denial, and it's the, you know, the attention neglect thing, like that kind of neglect is really arousing for those people in two different ways. But yeah, I mean, for a hot wifing, it's not about neglect because usually with hot wifing, it's like, I fucked her and she still wants to get fucked. Like we had a great time, but she also needs to go have a great time with somebody else. Whereas cuckolding is usually like, oh, she doesn't want to fuck me. She wants to fuck somebody else, you know? And then, you know, but often that can also just be pure fantasy. So one thing I would say to that person who's like, I really, this is my thing and my partner's not into it is you can just tell the story of that without ever, she doesn't ever have to fuck anybody else. You could be monogamous for the rest of your lives. But if she could see her way to being like, I was out today at, you know, the restaurant and I saw this bartender and I just took him to the back room and was like, hiked up my skirt and was like, have at me. It can be a total lie. It doesn't matter. <laughs> just sell it. And that is probably all he needs. <laughs> like, I mean, for many, maybe not, but I'm sure there's like, you would be like, oh, but I also want the this, but that could be a bridge or, you know, enough to really satisfy that person to just come home and tell the story. And, you know, again, fetishists or kinky folks can sometimes be really particular. So you might also really have to coach your partner and like, I want the story to have this flavor. I really want you to get like banged over the utility sink in the kitchen and the restaurant or whatever. If you could work with that detail in, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Because Sometimes you do have that like thing that you want to really focus on. So yeah, I mean, one thing I would say is it can all be fantasy. It can all just be play. I mean, role play is always only that, right? Like you are never actually a puppy. You are never actually a vampire, <laughs> whatever it's. And so the hot wife thing can also be just the stories and the way my fet, you know, often people are like, how, what do you do with your fetish? And mostly we tell stories. Like I have my partner be like, I'm so looking forward to Thanksgiving dinner. I'm just going to eat whatever I want, whatever it is, you know? And it's just, and he doesn't actually even have to do it. Maybe Thanksgiving comes and he's like, I'm going to eat a salad. It doesn't matter. We played <laughs> the story for like yeah. weeks ahead of time. And that has yeah. been everything I've needed, you know? Oh man. I feel like I'd be like someone who's into 
you know, Bacchus hedonistic fetish. I feel like pregnant version of myself is like, is the dream. Like <laughs> this is, this is my time to overindulge in just about anything that I want laying on the couch, check yeah. Netflix, check. And I think, and I think too, of just like the pregnancy fetish as oh, well. Pregnancy like, fetish is huge. Absolutely. I'm like, let me just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be, and I'll keep my shoes off. Fuck it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If you take those <laughs> just... photos and put them up for sure, you might get some comments <laughs> like, wow, you look really good. No, you're like, you're just, you just gotta look at the belly, look at the feet, look at the food. <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally. You know? Okay. Well, maybe even again, in a little bit more nuance with that question is let's say it's cuckolding and it's humiliation or embarrassment or something like that. And people are like, how could you get off on that? Like, what does that actually look like if you're getting hit with like, you're too short and your dick's too small and you will never amount to anything and you don't have enough money and you, and the person's like just taking it. Are they also getting a boner? Like, is these two conflicting things happening at the same time? Yeah, they are. And that kind of like edging up to that taboo, right? It's very, I would say it's parallel to consensual non-consent play, which is like, don't fuck me. But you're like, oh God, fuck me. You know, like, no, no, no. No, stop. Yeah, no, stop. Or I'm trying to think I had another example of that in my head. Now it's gone out. But yeah, I mean, I think that you are the tap, let's say age play. You're like, oh, it's, you're my stepson now. And obviously they're not your son in any way, shape or form, um, <laughs> but you're saying that and it feels really wrong. And that's, what's exciting about it. I mean, the humiliation feels really wrong to that person. And that's, what's exciting about it. And often in that case too, I think that person probably often who wants to be humiliated in that way has a lot of power in other aspects of their life and authority. And they like turning that off and being a different person in this erotic space. It's a similar for submissives. A lot of people are like, how can you be a submissive? You're so bossy and opinionated and of me specifically. <laughs> uh, they and, say that about me too sometimes. So. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, right, because I don't want the responsibility and control that I have in the rest of my life and my erotic life. I want to do something else. That's what's fun and adventurous about it. So that is the space in which I am like that. But we have a totally egalitarian marriage where he right. does the dishes and the laundry every day. I never do the dishes or the laundry. And he's still my dom. Like that doesn't, yeah. I think, again, it's a stereotype that like he would be walking around here with like, I don't know what pipe and a wielding <laughs> a paddle or something like that. Like, no, he's doing the dishes yeah. and like carrying stuff for me. But he that's part of his dominance is that he takes care of me in those ways. Right. right. And that works too. Yeah. Yeah. I just finished the series on, I don't know, maybe it was prime shiny, happy people. Do you remember the Duggar family from back in the day on TLC, 19 oh, yeah, kids yeah. and counting? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, I was a kid when I watched the show and I thought it was fascinating, but as an adult, I did, I never thought about it. And so it's the IBLP church. It's an, it's a church, okay. it's a Christian yeah. church where everything is the, I mean, this is very Christian biblical influence too, where it's like the role of the wife is to submit. And yes. then I kind of take a step back and I'm like, if you only knew what that submission looks like in my marriage, you know, I'm like, you're saying that, saying this, but right. there's this, you know, with more traditional, like religious culture, whatever it's that, you know, not only that, but you need to be the one that does the dishes and the cleaning. And so, you know, in some regards, and for some people, it's it's not that he's got the pipe and the belt and the, you know, and, and the button up shirt that's tucked into his pants and like okay. he's the dom, but it's that he's like the father of the family and it has this particular kind of like way of looking and it it just simply doesn't have to look like that. And I just, I like how you described it because that's the same. My husband does the dishes every day mm -hmm. and he makes a joke out of it. Every time he walks up to it, he's like, baby doesn't do her dishes. Right. Every yes, time I'm like, I beautiful. will never do my dishes. And he's like, no, because I do your dishes. Daddy does your dishes. I'm like, yes. yes. And he will also go and, and do the laundry and he'll like lay out where my, you know, lay my clothes out in the, in the mm. closet that at some point I will may, may or may not hang. He will not put those up. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I think about what works for us. You know, that's well, what works for us. Right. And because you're a feminist in an egalitarian marriage, I'm sure like you, that feels super taboo. I mean, I feel like that when we go to the airport and he gets my luggage, I'm just like, 
I am the like princess, the, the princess who gets her luggage taken care of. And it goes against sort of everything I do in my regular life. Yeah. And as a feminist, you know, all the stuff. And so it feels really like, oh, we're doing this secret sexy thing in public, which actually just looks normal to other people. Totally. But because like in your head, you're like, we've really flipped this around. There's some, there's right. like a fetish on um, fat life called queer 1950s household. And I love that term because I just feel like, yeah, even though we're, you know, I'm not heterosexual, but we're in heterosexual marriage. It's, I feel like we're sort of doing queer 1950s household because we're playing at these roles that we don't actually politically believe in, you know, and, and there, and it feels taboo and it feels like, Ooh, we're kind of enacting this stereotype and turning it on its head in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think out of all of that, it's like, it's the permission to make it whatever you want to make it, like make your expression, your sexual expression, whatever is really, truly true for you and true for your relationship. Cause that's going to be different. You know, how you show up with one partner is maybe going to be different how you show up in partnership and relationship with another partner. But it's the question of like, are you living your life on your terms? Are you living your expression the way that it really wants to come through? And if you are not, then chances are that at some point, it will lead to discontent. It could potentially lead to like maybe some of the shadowier aspects of, you know, this repressed expression coming out and all that. And, you know, it's just, and I think that's, that's a big part of what we do with Sex and Love Co. And, and with this podcast and all the content is just, we're going to expose like the good exhibitionists we are, we're going to expose a lot of what's available. And then For you guys as the listeners and the absorbers of our content and clients of our programs and retreats and different things, where you get to just taste lots of these flavors, you know, vanilla is definitely an option. We've got that one, but you can taste with the little tiny spoon. You know, you don't have to get like two full scoops on a cone and this whole thing, just like little tiny taste. And you know what? I actually think I'm going to go over here. And then, you know, y'all know we like to be a bridge, you know, so it's like where you're just getting the taste and then to go over into, okay, I'm actually going to be a puppy now Um, or going to go, going to let my partner pee on me for the first time, you know, or whatever the thing is. Right. So it's just about like, let's get you in touch if you're not there yet with who you truly are inside. And so rounding out the, the convo with you is highlighted a couple of things that I really appreciated from the introduction of the book. And it's, you wrote, in my own experiences and in community, I found that our deviant desires, our strongest feelings can become a pathway to deep satisfaction and achieving our highest selves. And then you went on to write, I also believe that learning to access and embrace our strangest erotic urges can open our hearts and minds to living with more tolerance, empathy, and compassion. I think that's for you know, you're referring to within yourself. And then of course, towards people around you. And I just thought that that was so beautiful. And it definitely is very important to what we do in our work. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for this. And thank you for the work that you are doing in the world. It is edgy. It is sexy. It is confusing at times. (laughs) It is holy shit. That's hot. And others. And I'm just so appreciative of the way that you've been able to package this information in a way that I think the everyday person can go, huh, that might not be for me, but I think I'm going to keep listening and I'll be open to changing my mind. Yeah. I mean, arousal is exciting, I think by definition. And I think all of us want to feel like we're aroused and our partner is aroused or our partners are aroused in a sexual encounter. And so being open to what is arousing for other people and getting in touch with what's really arousing for yourself is fundamental, I think, to having like a really satisfying sexual experience. And I was just thinking about what you said about the taste, you know, as the mom of kids, your kids to taste food and try it and see what they like. And they're going to try some things that they really don't like. And they're going to try some things and be like, you know what, this is my new favorite food. And you don't know, you don't know until you try. (laughs) Totally. And we'll save on that note of the kids conversation, we'll have to save the kinky, being kinky and having kids and being out with all them. We'll have to save that for Another day, Let's <laughs> another do it conversation. Have your baby, I, I love know. to have that conversation with you. Oh, man. Also, I... I have a lot of thoughts about like coming back into your sexuality after having kids. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, I'm super into that right now, especially as my body's changing and the way that I feel internally is all shifting and like all the things are moving around. And then the 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 question that happened when we got married, I was like, what kind of sexy do I get to be? Do I still get to be? Mm 
Do I still get to go to the play party if I'm wife now? Do I still get to enjoy this thing if I'm married? I belong to someone. He belongs to me. Wait, do we like that language? How do you know, like, it was just <laughs> yeah. really, it was really confusing. I mean, I moved through that pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> I, I think, cause I realized it for what it was, but it's definitely yeah. a whole other level with the, I'm going to become mom. And I've had a number yeah. of people in our community. That's just like, well, are you going to stay that sex chick? You know, when you're a mom, like, how are you going to describe that? I'm like, well, thank goodness. I have a handful of years before, yeah. you know, I need to do that. And it's not that many years. Right. You know, before I, before it's time to start communicating and, and, yeah, um, you know, age appropriately. True. So I'm super down to have that conversation and, yeah. and, you know, how to stay like a cool parent and not be one that my kids are like, don't Google my mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My kids are pretty doing? cool about it actually. And I'll just tell this one little story, which is that we sure. were watching like a Marvel superhero movie or something. And my son who was, was 13 at the time there was a scene where there was somebody hanging upside down from a rope, right? They'd been captured by the villain. And there were like, the villain had several different people hanging upside down by their feet. And my son just was like, that's pretty kinky. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is whether you say it at 13 yeah. is or not, but thank goodness, like you can recognize it for what it is. Yeah. yeah, to see what it represents. <laughs> All right. I want that to be our kid, kids in the future. And, um, yeah. and we're having a little boy too. So I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, what we can help him to become and grow into. And so, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. It's just I'll, about starting early. Well, do, yeah, we'll have that conversation. Can't wait for that duly, conversation. Duly noted. I'm going to make a note <laughs> for it. Okay. Now I know everyone can get your book in August of 2023. If I'm not mistaken, is there anything else that you would like to share about the book that's coming out or where people can get in touch with you, find you, work with you? Sure. Yep. A-R-I-L-E underscore Greenberg with an E-R-G on Instagram. And that's where I post all my authory stuff, writerly stuff. And the book is available any independent, your local independent bookstore, which I'd recommend you you know, anywhere books are sold, but let's say you're going to go to your local independent bookstore and order it if they don't have it on the shelves already, which is always a great way to get books like this on shelves of independent bookstores. As one person comes in and says, I've heard of this book. And then they, they order more copies for the store, which is awesome. Right. And so for my Austin locals, it's book people go to book people. Yeah. Love book people. (laughs) All right, Ariel. Thank you so much again for this convo. I'm hoping that my people we're able to get through it with an open mind and an open heart. And with, you know, Google isn't that great. If you want to look up more and more information about some of the subjects that we talked about, maybe try DuckDuckGo. <laughs> if I you want to just like. Yeah, read the book. And I, I offer resources, like additional resources right. for any of these topics. So I think that's a good way to start. And yeah, I mean, it's, it really is about tolerance, right? It's just about acknowledging that like, you've got your thing and I've got my thing. And as long as your thing doesn't harm me in any way, which it never should in good consensual BDSM or kink, then you are free to love what you love. Amazing. Pride month. <laughs> and love and love what you love. So if you wind up figuring out that you love something you didn't know that you were going to love before, please reach out, share it with me. I would love to hear it. I'm sure Ariel would love to hear it too. Um, Again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you and your work so much. Thank you so much. This is great. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.